Welcome to the Monday morning, week eight NFL edition of Unexpected Points. I am your humble host, Kevin Cole. Going to give you all the nerd, the nerd stuff. We'll, we'll edit, we'll edit ourselves here. We'll be kids friendly here. All the nerd stuff here, plus some football takes, plus some grading, plus the adjusted scores, which make adjustments for random fluky events. But then in addition to that, weigh uh, success rates a little bit more heavily than the actual EPA plays and some of those outlier plays. We'll have all that for you. Try to capture you know, a little bit better idea of what happened in the game. If you're going to say, how good was this team versus this other team? The adjusted scores, in my humble opinion, uh, adju- uh, adjusted a little bit better to be what actually happened in the game and what you would sustainably think would happen going forward. Some of them look a little bit off, though, honestly, to me, but we'll discuss it as we go through. We have a near full slate. It was like a mini bye week week here. Only one, only two teams on by, so we only lost one game. So we have a full uh, 13 games to go through here for Sunday. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it, although I will say some of these reviews are going to start becoming more and more abbreviated when we have teams that eh, probably aren't going to make a lot of noise in the playoffs going forward or don't have big issues as far as the team is concerned for what does this mean if they're out of the playoff hunt going forward. And speaking of teams that are trying to stay in the playoff hunt, we're going to start chronologically. We're going to go to London where the Jacksonville Jaguars are almost almost like a home team there. Although there are lots of Broncos fans worldwide. You know, the Jaguars have been playing in London every single year now since 2012, I believe. The only year they did not play in London. Uh, They've given up a home game for all these different years. They had an agreement. Uh, the Shad Khan, the owner, made with um, with everyone there. The only year they didn't do it was in 2020 when no one was playing internationally. So they, they probably have a decent little following there. Unfortunately for the London fans, the Jaguars cannot come through in this contest. Things that are causing them trouble. First and goal. Sure, they keep it on the ground. Octavius Murray into the end zone. Touchdown. Yes, yes. Latavius Murray comes in. The 2015 All-Stars now in the backfield for the Denver Broncos with Javante Williams out. And the Broncos go ahead and win this game. Now, the number of the game here. So for each game, I'm going to go over the number of the game, and then I'll give you all the all the particulars. But the number of the game is meant to be the most important thing that really jumps out for what drove the results in this game and what explains the story of it. And in this game... The number of the game is 11.8. Those represent, or that represents, the expected points lost on two Trevor Lawrence interceptions. So there was the one first and goal. That was the big one. That one was about eight. Oh, no, sorry. Nearly seven of that amount. Just a huge, huge, huge interception there. When you think about being first and goal at the one, your expected points are so, so high that you're losing there. And then you're giving back to the other team, letting them move it out. Uh, on a touchback there. So that one was huge. And then the first and 10 final drive where they could maybe come back, he ends up throwing another interception. And the reason I say this is the the number of the game also is it's also a little bit symbolic of the season issues that the Jaguars have had. I think the Jaguars are much better 
than the two and six team you look up right now and you see. Um, I think they played a lot better. I think Doug Peterson has brought stability to that team. They're running the ball really, really well, especially with Travis Etienne, which I'll talk about there. And Lawrence has been playing overall fairly well. His grading has been bad, but his efficiency has been pretty good this season. The thing is, the interceptions have been killer as far as their timing and their situational aspect. Because remember, when we talk about like the loss and interceptions, I think interceptions are sometimes overrated as far as their negative impact on a game. Because if you're throwing an interception on third and 15, 20 yards downfield, not that big of a loss in terms of expected points where we're really going to measure it. Sacks can come close to something like that, depending upon the situation in which you're taking a sack. But if you're throwing interceptions on first and 10, if you're throwing interceptions near the goal line on a good down and distance situation, I mean, those are highly impactful uh, plays because you have so many expected points going into it. If you look at Lawrence so far this year, uh, six interceptions on the year. So um, if you look at when they have happened, he has one on third and 11, which is somewhat excusable, you could say, for Lawrence. Third and 11 interception. Okay, I get it. He has three that are on first and 10. Bad, bad. We don't want first and 10 interceptions. Uh, one of them is on second and seven at the opponent's 16-yard line. Another bad one. You're giving away points automatically. You're in field goal range. You have a really, really good chance of converting that first down from that position. Don't do it. Um, and then the two that are killers, the one this game, first and goal from the one being the worst. And then there he had he had also had second and one from the seven-yard line against the Texans that he threw an interception on that play, which really lost them the game and a game that they needed to win. So situationally, Lawrence has got to get this stuff cleaned up. Maybe that's something you can do going forward. You know, I'm not necessarily confident, but I do think they're building a good foundation around this team going forward. Okay, so this is officially a home game for the Jacksonville Jaguars here. They were one-and-a-half-point favorites. It fluctuated, being Denver a little bit of a favorite, and then Jacksonville a bit of a favorite. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter, guys, when we're when it's going around, you know, in between the threes. It doesn't make a big difference when we see those sort of line movements. Uh, Denver ends up winning 21-17. to 17. The adjusted score, 22-21 Denver. So much closer, again, because of these big plays and problems that they had offensively for the Jaguars. Russell Wilson, good game for him overall. Uh, good to get things back on track. Obviously, the discourse on Russ is completely off the rails right now. He's not helping things with his talk about high knees in the plane and his Broncos country, let's ride. He got one of those in at the end of the post-game interview, which I thought was nice. Uh, his other social media postings, the subway stuff, all that stuff, not helping. You know, almost inviting some of the hate here, but the hate has still been completely uh, off the charts, in my opinion. Uh, 77.7 grade in this one, subject to review. Uh, 0.2 EPA per play, which is a really strong number in the top 10 for the week. You know, looking looking pretty good. Um, going to the running game, and I mentioned this before that I wanted to talk about what was happening here. I mean, emerging star in Travis Etienne here with James Robinson being traded off to the Jets. We knew that Etienne was going to step in and have a lot of volume potentially. Uh, we didn't really know how much Jermichael Hasty would be involved, how much um, others would be involved in here. Hey, 24 carries for Etienne, only four for Hasty, 156 yards 
and a touchdown. 11 first downs. They were running the ball at a 97th percentile efficiency in this game. That's why it really hurts to lose this because it was Lawrence on the other side who wasn't able to convert and to get things going. A 38.3 passing grade for Lawrence here, one of his worst of the seasons. Uh, other things to look about at for the Broncos, which I think is interesting, spreading the ball out a bit. So there's no like one player to point to Jerry, Jerry Judy, six for 63. Not bad. There had the receiving touchdown. Um, but the real guy I think is the most interesting is Greg Dolchich because he's only been around for three games. Now he had four catches for 87 yards in this game, three of them for first downs. If you look at what he's done so far since coming back, um, I shouldn't say coming back because he's a rookie. So since starting after his injury this season, we're talking about three games, 12 catches, 182 yards for Dolchich in those three games and a touchdown. Uh, he's become a big part of this offense and a helpful piece that Russ seems to actually be vibing with a little bit here where it's not necessarily the case anywhere else. Uh, might as well get right into what we're looking at these teams going forward. Jaguars two and six playoff probability under 10%. They're pretty much done, but you know, progress isn't linear for them. They're going to get a really good draft pick probably this season after having the number one pick multiple years in a row. I think they're in really good position. Not this year because we saw Tennessee win again. Um, Tannehill will probably come back. It's going to be really tough to have that division. Not this year as far as what they can do. But next year, positioning themselves. We'll see what the Titans do with Tannehill and his, you know, 35 million plus cap number. The Colts look completely lost as far as what they're going to do at quarterback. The Texans are the Texans. Maybe they'll get someone good at quarterback. They're going to be right up there with a potential number one or number two pick probably this year. But still, they haven't exactly built a great foundation there, despite the fact that we're going on the second year for a lot of people in that building. The Jaguars are more of a 2023 thing i like peterson i like what they're doing there um, you just like to see more of these losses become victories when they are this close all right let's transition over to the early slate of games and we're going to start with an absolute shootout maybe we should have expected this being that it's the lions defense but an absolute shootout in detroit to a looking deep he's got a Yes, yes, Waddle doing the Waddle. I've seen some people say that they think it's the best touchdown celebration in the NFL. I I don't know. I mean, it is his name. (laughs) I mean, a little bit more creativity. I I give extra points to creativity for nicknames, for celebrations, for everything else. I don't like something that's just a complete derivative of what the name is. Something that's brand new that you can throw out there. There were some good ones. There's some good celebrations here. They had... um, the Cowboys, the tight ends there were doing one where they like wrapped up the legs uh, like a rodeo. You you tie it up. I, I don't know the technical terms out there. You guys probably know that one. That one was part of one that I saw there. Um, they were fishing for Detroit. Jamal Williams. They did the like they were they were they were fishing him up, uh, putting him on the boat. I thought that was pretty good. Like it was a marlin or something like that. They were fishing up in honor of Miami. So I thought those are pretty good. Of course, the Waddle something's going to stick around because of because of what his name is here, and a fantastic game for Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. 
really narrow passing game, which I will I will talk about here. But first, let's get to the number of the game. For this one, it's 869. That's the total yards in this game, most of any game this season. And it gets even more crazy when you look at the first half of this game. Five touchdowns and three field goals in the first half. No punts. The only drive that did not end up in points was a turnover, and that was when uh, Trent Sherfield, no, no, not Trent Sherfield. It was a first-year wide receiver. I forget who it was at this point. Um, let me look it up. It was Braylon Sanders, I think, with, with a fumble there. And um, that was the only time that they were stopped, a receiver fumble in this first half. 592 yards in the first half. So, again, they end with 869, which is a huge number, but 592 just in the first half of this game. Okay, let's get to the particulars for this game. Um, Miami was a three-and-a-half-point favorite. They win by four points, narrowly covering here. Adjusted score, though, 29-29, split right down the middle between these two teams. It's a little bit surprising, but it makes some sense when we think about how this played out for both teams. First, I want to give some love and some credit and some props, continued props to Mike McDaniel in this game because – These are the type of games where you lose the game if you don't lean in enough what your strengths are. And they were running the ball well. They were also around the 90th percentile as far as how well that they were running. But they were passing it even that much better. And 7.1% pass rate over expectation. He's been over expectation all year long. I know some people would look at this team with Tua who may be, you know, I don't want to get into the Tua discourse on everything. But you could say... You would, there wasn't necessarily a lot of reason coming into the season to be ultra confident of what you were going to get out of Tua. You can run the ball well. You look at other people like Shanahan, um, McVay continuing to run the ball despite the fact that the Rams probably had the worst rushing attack in the game. Everything that's going on there, an offensive line that was questionable coming into the season but has been really good, has protected Tua pretty well this year. All that stuff, he continues to lead it, lean into the pass. You made his huge investment in Tyreek Hill. You made a huge investment in Jalen Waddle, trading up, you know, trading back and then trading up to go get him. So that's a lot of capital you're putting in there. You have Mike Jasicki on the franchise tag. You've put a lot into this offense. Go ahead and use it and use that passing offense. And that's what they have done here. And the results were incredibly good for Tua against a bad Lions defense. Highest grade, subject to review, highest grade of the week. 96.8 highest EPA per play at 0.7. And he got a lot higher volume with 42 plays he was involved in, in this one than some other ones. So if you look at like Dak was close on his efficiency this week, but wasn't being called on nearly as much. Tua was being called on a lot. He had 10 more expected points added than any other quarterback this year. 12 yard average depth of target. That shows you how he was being protected in this game. There was only a 9% fast pressure rate, quick pressure rate that I like to track, which comes in 2.5 or fewer uh, or less seconds. Only 9.5. Really, really well protected here for Tua in this game. Uh, I mentioned the narrowness of their passing game, which is unique. I love the way they're scheming this up here. Everything going to Hill and Waddle, or at least a lot going to Hill and Waddle. In this particular game, 70% of the catches, 50% of the yards, two-thirds of the touchdown end up going to those two guys using your talent well Mike McDaniel I had some skepticism about you during the offseason but 
coming away with these victories where it could have gone either way was pretty huge. And another uh, tip of the cap to Mike McDonald here. I'm sorry, Mike McDaniel here. Really early in the game, it was 7-0 Detroit. Miami had the ball fourth and four at the Detroit 44-yard line. They go for it. Pick up, pick up the first down, eventually end up going down and scoring. Early, early play in the game, not everyone would do it. Some people would say, hey, let's take the three here. We are, we'll only be down by seven. It was right in that area there where you have to go for it. I mean, there are a decent amount of teams that would do it in that, in that particular scenario, but not necessarily everyone. Okay, so where the Dolphins stand? They've had this weird season where they were coming, flying out of the gates, winning games against Baltimore, um, winning games, winning games that they should have lost probably in some circumstances. Then they had the quarterback issues, losing games where they still hung pretty tight in some of these games without the quarterbacks there. Now on a couple game win streak here, not the most impressive game against Pittsburgh last week, much better game this week against Detroit five and three on the season in a tough AFC 65% chance to make the playoffs. So not a guarantee to make it, but they're hanging pretty tight right now. And the question will be them for them is, you know, rest of the season schedule, 13th hardest after having the fifth hardest schedule so far. So the schedule gets a little bit easier, but with Buffalo continuing to win, they don't really have a path via the division to win. I mean, maybe an outside, outside, outside chance via the division. So it's really wild card or nothing for them. Uh, and they're still in a decent position to go ahead and do that. The Lions, one and six. So worst record in the NFL. I don't think they're going to come away and have the worst record at the end of the season. Texans are still most likely to get there at one, five and one, but we've seen many times teams that are not really the worst team in the NFL that end up having the worst record. And for Detroit, if they can have their choice of any quarterback, they are definitely a team that can make a leap next year, spend some money in free agency, build around that defense a bit more, add to what they have there. You know, they could, they could put some stuff together here. We've seen plenty of times, like the Bengals, when they got Joe Burrow, I don't think they were the worst team in the NFL that year. The Jaguars, I don't think were the worst NF team in the NFL last year. They just had the worst coaching in the NFL when they ended up getting the first pick overall, although it was in a year with Trayvon Walker and Hutchinson and others near the top. It wasn't this type of year that we're going to have a choice of any quarterback that you want uh, in what was suspected to be a strong quarterback class. Some guys are kind of falling off a little bit in the, in the college season. Um, but the lions could, you know, work their way into that one and six with the one and six record into the number one pick. Unfortunately, it might come at the cost of Dan Campbell, who I don't think has been doing a poor job. Um, but I don't know if he's going to have to sacrifice Aaron Glenn at some point, the defensive coordinator, because they just can't, they can't do anything defensively pretty much worst across the board. And it's not just against the pass. It's against the run. Also, it's not getting pressure. It's not being able to do anything there. I think Aaron Glenn's a fine coach. Um, from what I've seen and heard of him. But at a certain point, when you're not getting the results, you know, he may be the first one to get tossed overboard in uh, an effort to, you know, save some jobs there for a coaching staff that we were all rooting for coming into this season. Okay, next on the agenda, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys facing a surprisingly plucky uh, Chicago Bear squad. Four-man rush, Fields, stepping up, sidearm sling, he's got a connection, there goes Montgomery, who lost the football, and the Cowboys have it, it's Parsons on top of it, 
Yeah, an absolutely insane play uh, for what for what went down in this game. And if you think about it, it was 35-23 at that point. Five minutes left in the third quarter when Parsons scores this touchdown where he wasn't touched on the play. Justin Fields avoids him, jumps over him. He gets up. I think most of his teammates were like, we're going to go do the defensive celebration where we all get in front of the camera and do our poses and everything. And then Parsons seemed to be one of the only guys who realized, hey, wait a second. I don't think I was touched. Let's run this in and let's get a fumble six on this one, which really put the game away at that point. Um, Despite the fact that the Dallas Cowboys offense had been so, so good going into this, but the Bears offense was also playing surprisingly well in this game. All right, let's get to the number of the game here. And this goes back to the uh, Cowboys offense. It goes back to fantasy hero, DFS hero, Tony Pollard. And the number of the game here is 0.6. It's a little bit obscure. I'll give you that. But this is the expected points added per opportunity. So any rushing attempt or target, he didn't have a lot of targets. He only had one target in this game for Pollard, but still rushing attempt or target for Tony Pollard. It's better than any game in Zeke's entire career. More efficiency added in this one. Every single time Tony Pollard touched the ball, he was adding about 0.6 points over what you would expect for any other running back. 131 rushing yards, 16 receiving yards, three touchdowns, only 14 carries. So that's it, really, that they were just cranking up intense, intense, intense efficiency here for Tony Pollard. And it's one of those plays where you're like, this is going to smash. If Tony Pollard gets the chance, he got the chance, and it smashed exactly as people would have expected. Okay, Dallas was a nine-point favor in this game. They end up covering 49-29, just an absurd score here with that defensive touchdown and everything else. But, you know, it was a little bit closer than what the score indicated. Not a lot closer, though. 39-22 is the adjusted score because Dallas was just so, so, so efficient offensively in this game. Four straight touchdowns to start the game for the Cowboys. They scored a touchdown on six of their first eight drives, and then they had the fumble six return, which was also flipped in there. Dak, the second most efficient quarterback, second highest grade on the week, both of them behind Tua. A big game for Dak because he hasn't been that great this year. He looked better last week. He was bad at the beginning of the season before he went out to injury. This is a good game for Dak to really get back to prove himself here. Not the hardest opponent, of course, but putting up some big numbers in this spot is helpful for the team. I mean, Fields played pretty well. So coming off of last week, what we saw on Monday night from Fields, adding it to this week. He had positive EPA per play, which doesn't happen a whole lot. But I think his efficiency still is going to be lower than what people expect based upon how he looked on some of these throws, how he looked on how he was executing. And the reason, the reason he has this like capped ceiling is the sacks. Now he's facing arguably the toughest pass rush in the NFL, so we can cut him some slack there. Um, But still, you know, he took four sacks on 30 dropbacks. So you don't need to be a math major to know that's over 10%. You know, once we get over 10%, that's a high amount for any quarterback. It's not as high as what he's been averaging on the season, which is over 15%. But still, it's it's a high amount. Again, cutting slack because it's the Cowboys. But just I just want to, like, talk about some of the value here. And this is what people don't understand when it comes to sacks sometimes and the value add problems is. So for these Four sacks, it was a total lost EPA or expected points, total lost expected points of 6.6. 
Now, on his scrambles and his runs in this game, he added 4.8. So we see all these dynamic plays that he's making with his legs, and we're saying, oh, this is a huge value add. They're opening up the offense for him. I think he had another six um, design runs this week where he hadn't been getting design runs in the past. Still less positive than what the sacks are negative. Now, he also added stuff through the air, not getting interceptions through the air there. So that was a positive for him, which ended up giving a positive EPA in the season. But still need to get rid of the ball sometimes. Still, there are some times where he just holds it a little bit too long and he could get rid of the ball. If he can fix that, you know, the, 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 the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan would say, for his potential. But at least we are seeing other fundamentals come up and that sack rate get a little bit better while still bad, while still kind of almost, you know, like league worst type of bad there for fields. Uh, Cowboys six and two now up to third in the power rankings for us. I'm sorry, up to fourth in the power rankings for us. So it goes Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Cowboys. They're right there. Dak missed those games. Didn't matter. 91% 91% chance to make the playoffs, only an 18% chance to win the division because Philly is so good, but they're getting more and more locked into looking like they're going to have that number one wild card, at least have a home game that first week of the playoffs. And let's remember only one team gets the bye, right? So we'll see if they can, if they can end up, I'm sorry, they don't have a home game because they will be against another division winner, but only one team gets the bye. So They'll be in a, in a decent spot there. They'll at least be playing the worst of the uh, division winners. And right now, if they, if they can lock in that spot, worst of the division winners, right now we're talking about probably like an NFC South matchup, right? Against, against the Falcons who are leading here. I mean, maybe the Bucs will turn around and they'll come back and that'll be a little bit of a tougher matchup. But I still think Dallas is positioning themselves fairly well for being able to have some sort of a run here. I mean, we have them... 7% chance to win the championship. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it is, you know, again, fourth behind these other teams like the Eagles. Eagles and KC are 15 and 16%, so not that huge of a difference. Uh, for the Bears, not a lot to talk about. I mean, they're out of the playoffs pretty much. 4% chance to make the playoffs. Field's looking good, and we'll just kind of see if they can continue that going forward. They're going to have a ton of cap space next year. Maybe you could say the defense was really hurt because Robert Quinn is out, all that sort of stuff. This is going to happen anyway. I mean, this is a wipeout. I don't think it's a Robert Quinn away from being able to compete in this game. And that's why you go ahead and you make that trade if you are Ryan Poles. All right. Let's get to the next game on the agenda. And that is the surprisingly plucky. I think I may have said plucky already twice this this broadcast. uh, Jets facing New England at home. But Zach Wilson was doing some major Zach Wilsoning in this game. Rush coming. Wilson gets out of the pocket, trying to set himself. Wilson flicks it downfield and it's intercepted. Picked off once again. McCourty down the sideline and McCourty is forced out of bounds. Yes, uh, Devin McCourty looked like he was doing a punt return on this interception. From Wilson, There was another interception where Wilson scrambled around for a long time. Looked like he was trying to throw it out of bounds. I don't think he realized that McCourty was in the area because the other defensive back had his back turned. Uh, and they ended up getting an interception there. Just killer. 
killer, killer, killer interceptions here. And that leads us to our number of the game, which is 12.7. And that's the expected points lost on Zach Wilson's three interceptions. Really tough. Really tough to be able to win when that is what your quarterback is doing in this game. It kind of reminds me of like Ian Harditz, fantasy football analyst here. I do some podcasts with him on fantasy football on Wednesday for AFC and NFC. When we were talking about the AFC, you said all this grief he was getting from Jets fans because he put together this video where it said, it's Zach Wilson time, Zach Wilson. And it showed him doing these things where he's just like running around in the pocket forever. And then he throws it downfield and there's, you know, there's no one there or he throws it away. Or I don't think he showed a lot of interceptions in there or there's an interception or there's a fumble or whatever. Like he's, he does all these spectacular, like there's no one with a bigger contrast. I think as far as looking at what he's able to do as far as escapability and kind of the aesthetics of when he throws the ball, how cool it looks like the touchdown that he had uh, to the tight end was great in this game. It looked awesome coming out of his hand, but where the ball goes <laughs> after it comes out of his head is highly, highly problematic in this game. That's why I told Ian, never apologize, never apologize. Ian, um, what's, what's interesting about this killer interceptions, but 8.7 yards per attempt for Wilson. There's a lot of yak built in there. So maybe you don't want to give too much to him, but at least there is something you can hold on to there and say, well, we had the big, big, big mistakes. We cleaned those up and he would have been, you know, like decently efficient in this game so far. Uh, the particulars on this one, the Patriots were three point favorites. They win by five, 22 to 17, the adjusted scores narrow. Again, without these interceptions, pretty close game. 2018, New England in this one for the adjusted score. Um, So where do we stand now with these teams on the season? Despite the fact that, you know, the Jets have this good record, five and three, we have about 50% chance to make the playoffs. So not bad, not bad, better than you'd expect, but I just don't know how we're going to get the explosive plays going without having Brees Hall there anymore outside of having to rely on on Wilson which there was some of that again I mentioned the passing game there was some of that this week but in the running game 3.4 yards per carry you know Michael Carter seven carries for 26 yards James Robinson five carries for 17 yards just plotting a lot of plotting going on there whereas on the other side you know Ramondre Stevenson 4.9 yards per carry and then in the receiving game uh, what these guys were doing. Carter had a Carter was at least productive with 35 yards in the receiving game. Ramondre Stevenson, 72 yards in the receiving game, leading the team. But that's not exactly a great sign for the Patriots. And I think that's part of the problem here. I mean, we can look up and say, okay, the Patriots, they're, you know, they're not going to win the division, obviously. But four and four. Maybe they can catch five and three Dolphins or five and three Jets. They can get into the playoff mix. We have about a 35% chance to make the playoffs, so not great. And underlying that is just Mac Jones has not been that impressive. I mean, he took six sacks in this game. 194 yards is it. A turnover-worthy play, which is bad, but, you know, not great. 5.5 yards per, per attempt. And within that 5.5 yards per attempt, 70% of it was coming yards after the catch. There's just not a lot of dynamic, dynamic, dynamic plays being pl- here for the Patriots and for Mac Jones, and it's not getting any better. Maybe the Bailey Zappi stuff will calm down um, going forward here. This was on the road, so even though there were some problems there, we didn't end up hearing any of it. They are going to be at home next week against the Colts, 
Presumably Sam Ellinger is still going to be starting with the Colts. Very winnable game for them. We'll see what happens with the Bailey Zappi drama in that one. All right, let's get on to the next game here. We are going to Philadelphia. The only league's only undefeated team uh, beats up on the Pittsburgh Steelers and specifically AJ Brown beating up on any defensive back in his way. Son, and he knows it. You never get ahead of yourself. As Hurts going down the field, can he do it again? Yes, they can! A.J. Brown, incredible! Touchdown number three! You know, if you get three touchdowns, I guess you're allowed to point fingers and get a penalty. Yes, I think you are allowed to point fingers and get a penalty there if you're A.J. Brown. As mentioned here, third touchdown of the game. And what this Eagles team is doing is they're just showing they can win in a lot of ways. Now, Steelers, not the most difficult here. Um, you know, they don't. it's not like they're out here beating the Buffalo Bills or someone like that. I get it. But they're showing they can win different ways. They've shown they've been able to win in some struggles. They've shown they can be able to put a lot of pressure on defensively like they did in this game. And they've shown in this one, and this is what leads into the number of the game, two is the number of the game in this one. That was the number of rushing attempts for Jalen Hurts. One scramble, one design run. That's it. This is someone, Jalen Hurts, who had been averaging 13.3 rushing attempts per game in previous games, weeks one through six. Didn't play last week, had to buy. Uh, only two rushing attempts in this game. Now, you could say they didn't need him, so that's why they didn't use him. But yeah, they've used him in games where they didn't need him, quote unquote, need him. This is all being done through the air for Hurts. And when you see that, you start to get excited um, because being able to win in multiple ways is what's really, really important in this league. I mean, 308 passing yards, four touchdowns, two big time throws, three drops as part of that could have been even more 10.2 yards per attempt, just bang, bang, bang across the board, 11.4 a dot stretching it downfield. And they have some players. They got Micah Fitzpatrick back there. Um, on the defensive side of the ball. One of the two guys who got knocked down there by, by A.J. Brown. Um, you have Cam Sutton back there. You have players on the backside of this team. Um, and they were just getting mossed left and right by A.J. Brown in this one. And again, when we talk about like being able to win different ways, part of that for the Eagles is being able to have Devontae Smith can have that super high-end type of game. Dallas Goddard can have a really pretty good high-end game here uh, in a lot of circumstances. And then A.J. Brown, of course, can have that stratospheric six-catch, 156 yards, three-touchdown game like he did in this one. All that is available to you. And then, you know, you throw in there, you say, we'll give Zach Pascal 57 yards <laughs> receiving and a touchdown. We have Quez Watkins who can maybe step in and do something. You have Kenneth Gamewell who can step in and – you know, do something a little bit there. And then Miles Sanders finally getting unlocked here. 8.7 yards per carry in this game, 78 yards and a touchdown here. So many different ways to win against the Steelers team, which is not the greatest defense, but you know, they did a pretty good job against the, um, the Dolphins last week. It's not like they're complete pushovers in that regard. Okay. Where do we stand on Kenny Pickett? Uh, 44.3 grade passing grade in this game. Not good. Five yards per attempt. Not good. Um, if we go for EPA per play this week, fourth worst of the week, only Willis, Malik Willis, Trevor Lawrence, 
Davis Mills and Pickett were worse so far this week. Mm, I don't know what to say, man. It's not good because it's only not only is it bad as far as negative 12 EPA sacks, negative 3.5 interceptions. So not as bad in the interceptions, adding a little bit on the ground about a little bit over three expected points added on the ground, but then passing excluding interceptions, negative four. So like you're not even been able to generate passing excluding interceptions. Worst of the week, only Carr, Derek Carr, remember they were shut out by the um, Saints. Only Derek Carr and Kenny Pickett had negative passing EPA when you exclude interceptions. So on a pass-by-pass basis, just not adding anything. Eagles defense is tough, uh, but still, very, very disappointing there. And of course, when you only put up 196 yards, you're not going to get a lot of passing production for any of the weapons there. George Pickens with the Bagel City here. Uh, three targets, zero catches, zero yards. Where do we stand now with these teams? Now, Philly, they're a lock to make the playoffs, 75% chance to win the division, despite the fact that Dallas is playing so well. 35% to win the conference championship, 16% to win the Super Bowl. Good, good, good there for them. And where do we stand on the Steelers? 7% chance to make the playoffs. It's starting to look like Steelers should be a team that's definitely in sell mode here. Claypool, sell. You know, sell him. Defensive pieces that you can sell. I'm not sure who it might be. Sell. Um, You're in like a rebuilding type of year next year, despite the fact you have Pickett and If you're bad enough, maybe even look for another quarterback. I'm not against getting another quarterback here. Spending a mid-late round pick on a quarterback in the first round should not restrict you from looking to do something the next year. Sell some pieces, rebuild going forward. Uh, I forgot to give you guys the particulars in this game. Sorry. So Philly was 11.5 point favorite. So it's not like this is a surprising outcome. 35-15, adjusted score 32-22. to So a little bit more narrow, but healthy, healthy, healthy win for the Eagles. All right, let's get to the most exciting finish and then overtime of the game. That is the Carolina Panthers playing, going to Atlanta, to the Falcons, where surprisingly, like the number one seed in the NFC South was on the line in this game, believe it or not. Two minutes remaining in overtime from 41 yards out. Who's kick? It's good. the Atlanta Falcons maintain first place in the NFC South. They are four and four. The Bucks are three and five. The Saints are three and five. The Carolina Panthers are two and six in that division. Okay, this is our uh, number of the game. Maybe I shouldn't call it the number of the game. Maybe it's more like the after effect number of the game here. And that's 38, which is the percent chance that we estimate the Falcons of making the playoffs after this game, the Falcons, the Falcons, where if you're going to ask some people like, who are the, who's the worst team in the NFL this year going into the season? I think some people would have said the Falcons. I think you would have gotten some votes for the Falcons. Of course you have the Texans out there who would have gotten a ton of votes Four people. You have the Panthers, who of course would have gotten a ton of votes, but you might have got a sprinkle. The Bears would have gotten some votes. Uh, you might have got a sprinkle on the Falcons for some people thinking that they might be the worst team in the NFL this this year. And now they're sitting at four and four. And Arthur Smith continues to own the nerves. They put up thirty seven points in this game, despite the fact that 
they ref- they continue to refuse to run the ball. It's not as much as it had been in um, in prior weeks, but they were 11 percent under expectation here, and Carolina was 15 percent under expectation here. So this is really a war on the ground, not something you'd expect to have this type of numbers, this type of scoring with such a concentration on running this game, but that is what we saw in this contest. Atlanta was four-point favorite, so, you know, no luck there on the cover there with the 37-34 win. Adjusted score 24-23, so much lower just because of the high, high expected points that were driven on these running plays, which is normally not the case. Normally, we don't see this high of EPA being driven when teams that just refuse to pass the ball. So you don't get that type of number. And we had some outlier plays in this game. And of course we had overtime, which ended up pushing up a bit more, but still a decent score there for the game. And let's, let's talk about these running games, right? 165 yards for the Falcons, 169 for the Panthers, 4.5 yards per carry for the Falcons, 4.7 for the Panthers. And when we look at the, um, percentiles for let's let's get to the good old epa basis here it was you know above the 50th percentile for both 80th percentile for the carolina panthers and the dropbacks and this is what's interesting 80th percentile the dropback success rate for atlanta mariana continues to be pretty good this season kyle pitts finally kyle pitts lives You know, 253 yards is like an extravaganza in in total yards for the Falcons passing game, which allows Kyle Pitts to get 80 of those yards and a touchdown. Uh, 317 for the Panthers, which again, bonanza for DJ Moore now. Maybe DJ Moore's back if you have him on your fantasy team. Congratulations. Six catches, 152 yards and a touchdown, including that ridiculous, ridiculous catch at the end of the game where it looked like DJ Moore was not even running full speed. And then Walker throws it up to him. And Cairo Santos, unfortunately, misses the extra point there and then misses the field goal, a much easier field goal in overtime. So they cannot come away with the victory. Uh, I mentioned the number of the game. That's really the only thing to to pay attention to here for these teams going forward is the fact was about a 40 percent chance for the Falcons to make to make the playoffs going forward. And looking at their schedule here. They, but the, they have the Chargers next week. They have the Panthers again, so that's winnable. They have the Bears. That's fairly winnable. Commanders, Steelers, you, mean, you can win a lot of games here. Now, tougher to end the season. Saints, Ravens, Cardinals, Bucks. But Atlanta could be you know, in first place with three, four weeks left in the season, which is kind of wild if we, if we, again, look at the expectations that we had for this team going into this year. All right, before we get to the rest of the games here, we're going to go ahead and pay some bills here. First, we're going to talk DraftKings. Make every play feel this, make every play feel exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Get their unbeatable offers right now. New customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Plus, stepped-up same-game parlays. You can do this once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. 
See show notes for details. And also Western and Southern sponsors the Unexpected Points podcast while you focus on your roster moves. Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investments and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with the game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's get the last early window game, a non-competitive game, a game you were reveling in, though. Again, let's go back to fantasy football with Andy Dalton continuing to unlock Alvin Kamara. Andy Dalton, 16-23. It's Kamara with room to roam. Here he goes. He breaks the tackle coming in from Harmon and scores for the third time today. 36 yards. Yes, the third time today they score for Alvin Kamara and 24 nothing. the final score here. A straight bagel, and that leads us into the number of the game, which is 126. So that is the number of games the Raiders have played since the last time they were shut out in a game, which was November 30th, 2014. Against the Rams, last time they've been shut out, 126 games. And then they had this performance, this, you know, rather pathetic performance against the Saints. Uh, Raiders were one and a half point favorites in this one. I thought they were a pretty good team this year, you know, much better than their record indicated. But, you know, now that they're sitting at, what are they now, two and five, people are going to be selling hardcore on this one. I don't know if you can sell off any pieces on this team, but... Not looking good for the playoffs because we have them as we have like a middling sort of team. So 15% chance to make the playoffs. I guess there's always a possibility there with a middling sort of schedule going forward. But back to the particulars in this game 24 0, as we talked about. Adjusted score 30 to 8. So almost as bad. Almost as bad as what was the actual score in this game. Stats. Okay, let's talk about Alvin Kamara with and without. Andy Dalton, because I think this is this is important here. So the starter for weeks one through three was um, was Jameis Winston. Then Andy Dalton has come in, and man, like I think I think Bill Barnwell made the joke that the whole reason you start Andy Dalton is because he knows how to do something when it comes to Kamara. Because if we look at especially in the different receiving games so far this season for Kamara, how he's been a bigger part of the offense now with Dalton there. So the last, the first couple of games of the season, seven receiving yards in week one, 12 receiving yards in week three, didn't play week two. Um, He was injured. So maybe that's part of what he was hampered this and that, but then Dalton comes in 95, 25, 56, 96 reception, six, six, seven, nine. Big, big, huge part of the offense there. And then also, you know, running the ball, it's, it's really freedom up running the ball. Only 39 yards and the 61 yards in those first two games. Then 104, 98, 49, and 62. And also gets a touchdown here on the ground. His first rushing touchdown of the season. Andy Dalton in there. Unlocking. Unlocking players. We never thought we'd be talking about Andy Dalton and unlocking this season. And another thing we never thought we'd be talking about. I mean, this is kind of absurd. Right now, 
Andy Dalton has the sixth best PFF grade amongst quarterbacks so far this year. The only quarterbacks with a better grade than Dalton this year are Josh Allen, Tua, Patrick Mahomes, Geno Smith. I mean, we got Geno Smith and Andy Dalton up here. Jalen Hurts and then Andy Dalton. Above Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Kirk Cousins, Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, everybody else. Way above all those other guys. I mean, quarterbacks kind of low-key stink this year, so maybe it isn't that surprising. But still, sixth best grade and ninth best EPA per play. So, you know, hanging out in the top 10 in both categories so far for Andy Dalton. Probably not going to turn back to Jameis anytime soon. 21% chance for the Saints to make the playoffs after they secured this win. They had a couple of victories that they really should have been able to get, and they didn't get. If you look at their point differential this year, it's only a negative one point differential, the best point differential in that division. Definitely within striking distance. We still think the Bucks are not going to completely fall apart. Maybe we're wrong about that. Um, if you think the, if you're a little bit lower on the Bucks than we are, you could probably give the Saints even a better chance of making it. Probably more like a 30, 35% chance of making the playoffs uh, in this one. And not much else to say here. I mean, really bad game for Derek Carr in this one. And big money for Carr. Um, is it time to think about them selling here? I mean, they have some chance of making the playoffs. Again, a 15% chance. But the trade deadline comes a week from today, I think. Or maybe it's Sunday. So you can't wait to see what's going to happen this week if you're the Raiders. Um, maybe Carr doesn't go now, but off season, I think it's really open to Derek Carr potentially going. They structured this contract in a way where he doesn't have a lot of dead money. It's a big cap for him. You know, it's in the 30 million sort of range right there, but that might be attractive to someone who wants to be able to get a player without much guarantees. Um, just go ahead. If you have a ton of cap space, people are talking about the jets, like the jets may be going after Derek Carr next year. I could see that as a possibility. Um, and you're going to say, you know what? We'll pay 30 million plus for Derek Carr. And then we can just get rid of him after the season. If we don't have to give up a lot and trade compensation to the Raiders, if they want to, you know, shut things down because they went in this season. Devontae Adams re-upping Derek Carr. They thought they would have a better defense this year and everything else is playing. And it just hasn't been there. So it may be time to see what you can maximize going forward when they never really committed to Carr with that contract in the first place. Never really committed to him there. Um, it might be time. They did pull him in this game, it looks like. I'm not sure if Carr was injured or not. You guys may know that. But it looks like Jarek Stidham got uh, 14 dropbacks in this game. So 3.9 yards per attempt for Carr. Yikes. Okay, let's move on here to the next contest. And that is Arizona against Minnesota uh, in Minnesota. <laughs> Back the clock 15-14. It's third down. 
Murray can't. Can he get away? No! The Viking defense brings him down. Yeah, kind of an extended clip there, but maybe if those not watching, he's like, what the hell is going on here? So they just, you know, the double sack basically to end the game of Kyler Murray. At the end of this one, discombobulated offense. And, of course, you could say that's like, you know, what else is new, right? What else is new when it comes to these teams and having discombobulation on offense? Um, Number of the game is 53. That's how many times Kyler Murray dropped back to pass more than any other quarterback this week. And he wasn't that bad, but still, four sacks, two of them at the end of the game there. Three turnover-worthy plays. 7.4 yards per attempt. Rondale Moore got involved in this one, which we have not really seen the entire season. 92 yards on seven catches. DeAndre Hopkins with another huge game. Props to me. I was saying to Ian Harditz on the, again, on the PFF uh, fantasy football podcast that DeAndre Hopkins has like low key best receiver in fantasy football upside after what we saw with his usage last week and his first week back. 13 targets, 12 catches, 159 yards, and a touchdown in this one for him. Uh, Nothing that special on the other side of the ball for the Vikings. Cousins was meh. You know, three sacks, one big-time throw, one turn-of-worthy play. Um, Didn't really do a whole lot when it comes to the efficiency so far in this game. Cousins actually had worse efficiency than Kyler Murray. Kyler was about flat in his EPA per play. Cousins was negative in this one because of the sack issues that he had and barely adding anything uh, passing in this one. Greg Dortch with the uh, muffed punt ended up being a huge play in this game, the most impactful play of the game. Five expected points lost in this one and a 17% win probability. So the most impactful play of the game in this one and let's get to all the different particulars for this game so four point favorite were the vikings they win by eight 34 26 adjusted score 28 23 minnesota so a little bit more narrow i don't know what we're going to do with cliff right what are we doing with cliff what are we doing with this team this offense that should have the pieces to do something we just can't quite do it I mean, Arizona's not dead right now at three and five because the division has been pretty poor. And you have Seattle who, I don't know, Seattle's playing is kind of looking legit, but we kind of assume they're not fully legit. So you still have about a 20% chance for the Cardinals to make the playoffs, but not extremely high. Uh, Cliff also bungled one decision. And I think it's an interesting decision that I want to highlight on here just because it's not something people would expect that you should do. And I'll just kind of walk through some of the reasoning on this one. So there was a play. In the first half, three minutes and 50 seconds left in the first half, fourth and three at their own 23-yard line, and it was a go for it for the Cardinals. Most teams would never consider doing this, but let me tell you the reason why it's a go for it and why you have to think about these things in a possession basis also. So there's three minutes and 50 seconds left. That's the important part. You're at your own 23. If you go for it, you don't make it. It's very unlikely the other team on their next possession, starting at your 23-yard line, is going to take more than, I don't know, a minute off the clock, a minute and a half. You'll have all your timeouts. You had all your timeouts at this point. You'll get basically a full drive. So you give up the ball on your 23. You give up a great scoring opportunity, but you get the ball back. You get a full drive. If you make it on this one, and we say it's about a coin flip that you make it, if you make it, 
with only three minutes and 50 seconds left in the half, you can eat almost all that clock and the other team does not get a possession. So if you don't make it, they get one possession with good field position. You get one possession with worse field position. They probably don't get another possession after that. If you don't make it, you get a possession. They may not even get a possession. If you punt it, and this is what happened in this game, you punt it away, Arizona drove the ball all the way down the field, scored a touchdown, and they only had you know 45 seconds left. So they didn't really get a full possession there. So when you punt it, you're probably not going to get a full possession. You're giving that away. So there's just a lot lower floor on these circumstances when you think about how the possessions go back and forth in these end-of-half, end-of-game type of situations. But especially end-of-half, people don't think about enough how going for it can flip the possession likelihood dynamics in your favor, making a fourth and three in your own 23 look ridiculous, but giving up a turnover here, punting it is kind of like a turnover. Not only are you giving up the possession, but you're giving up really a good chance to have a full possession again in the half. So it's almost like a double turnover in that sort of way. And that's what teams don't think enough about in these games. Um, let's look at Vikings. Vikings will now take over as most fraudulent winning team. <laughs> you'll, you'll see a lot of that out there. Six and one, um, are the Vikings right now, plus 29 point differential. So not awful on the point differential, but clearly not like a six and one type of team. We have them in the power rankings at 12. So not that bad, but 95% chance to make the playoffs, 90% chance to win the division with, um, Green Bay Packers crumbling. So enjoy that, Vikings fans. Still don't see a great chance, uh, but still 14% chance to make the Super Bowl now, which if you look at it, is fifth best in the NFL by our numbers. So you don't have to be great. You don't have to be a top five team to have a top five chance to make the Super Bowl right now. Records matter. You've banked those wins. Even if everyone's talking about you being fraudulent, don't worry about it. Just don't go around saying you're the, you know, second best team in the NFL because, or the third best team in the NFL because you're tied with the Bills and only behind the Eagles in record. And just enjoy the wins and the expected chance of making the playoffs, which is extremely high at this point. Okay, next on the agenda, San Francisco, LA, the marquee matchup of the afternoon slate. Christian McCaffrey, gone wild. Rapolo pressure, sees it, throws it, McCaffrey, he's got Touchdown! Wow! McCaffrey, the outlet option there for Jimmy Garoppolo. Low-key, Jimmy, my man, actually did pretty well, I feel like, on that play. That was the receiving touchdown. Before that, we had a passing touchdown for Christian McCaffrey, a 30-plus yard touchdown to Brandon Ayuk down the side on a lateral, which was a backwards pass lateral before that and then he finishes up later with the rushing touchdown getting all three touchdowns in this game of course McCaffrey is the story of the game but which might be a little bit low played in this one is the San Francisco 49ers defense and what they were able to do four is the number of the game 4.0 and that's the yards per play for the Rams offense against this 49ers defense and That's just bad, bad, bad. I mean, they can't run the ball, the Rams. But they also really held down Stafford. And it wasn't like it was the Stafford making mistakes. It wasn't the Stafford interception Stafford, the sack, the fumble six Stafford, all that stuff. It was really just they couldn't do anything offensively against this 49er team, which we if that can get going, if that top five defense can get back on track and get going again, this 49ers team looks as dangerous as any. 
in the NFC, barring the Eagles, of course. But still, on a good day, they could definitely go ahead and and have a chance to beat the Eagles. I mean, again, the reason that they held the Rams to only 14 points in this game, 4.0 yards per play is the reason, because the Rams actually converted 8 of 13 third downs, which is a little bit lucky. They went for it twice on fourth. I mean, they they um, scored both times they got into the red zone. They scored touchdowns. So this is, if anything, you could say maybe they were lucky in some ways to get that 14 points with all of the low the low scores there. But yet again, when we flip over to the adjusted score, it's a little bit more for the Rams. It's 33 to 23 for San Francisco. Um, so the Rams could have scored some more points here. Second half, just couldn't get anything going. Never advanced past their own 42-yard line in five second-half possessions. Wasn't good. Wasn't good at all. Uh, I mentioned McCaffrey. You know, he's the hero here. Um, A really good game for people who are, you know, justifying that trade. Maybe off the – I'm not going to take an L. No Ls will be taken. Um, But great game for McCaffrey. And, of course, we thought that he would do really well. I think it really helped that Debo Samuel is out of this game because – he gets the 18 rushing attempts for 94 yards. And even more importantly, in the receiving game, I feel like he and Debo are, you know, they're not the same, right? One's lining up in the backfield, but how you can use McCaffrey with screen passes, how you can use him to try to get him matched up against linebackers over the middle of the field, is kind of similar to Debo. So McCaffrey being like Debo insurance, I think is a pretty interesting way of putting it because who knows what this offense looks like if those two pieces are for sure the most overlapping replacement, right? Like if it was Ayuku was out or Kittle was out, McCaffrey doesn't have as much value versus um, Debo being out and how exactly he's able to replace them there. McCaffrey, eight targets, 55 yards receiving and a touchdown there. Okay, so this is what I'm going to do a little bit of hating. And again, it's more like context on the McCaffrey thing. First off, Two fumbles, one that wasn't technically a fumble because they say he didn't catch it. Um, Both of them would have been recovered by the 49ers anywhere. Both or the fumble on the rush was, it went flying up in the air and it was recovered by Ray Ray McLeod. The fumble after reception was recovered by George Kittle. So, you know, if if things go the wrong way on those two plays, it could have been some massive negatives when it comes to uh, McCaffrey. And, you know, barring, let's, let's forget about the passing touchdown for a while, which was cool, which was awesome. I'll give him that. Um, even how he's being used, and part of my worry about McCaffrey was like, how does he replace touches to other guys who could be more efficient? Again, with Debo out, it helped alleviate that concern somewhat in this game. But even so, McCaffrey on, you know, nine targets, he was very efficient in this game. Five first downs, 0.7 EPA per target which is a high number, yet you look up and you say Garoppolo's targets to every other receiver was 0.75. So even slightly higher, even slightly more efficient than going to McCaffrey and which was a high, high end McCaffrey sort of game. So it's still not necessarily like he's going to replace things, but I think what he adds in the receiving game is really going to be what he ends up doing here because Jeff Wilson has been rushing rushing well this game. And one of the concerns we would have had for the 49ers is that they have McCaffrey and they decide they're going to lean more into the run because of that. Didn't really happen in this game. 55% pass rate, 56% was the expected pass rate. So basically 
normal 49er ball here. They're not leaning any more into the run, which I appreciate there. I guess I didn't really think about, though, this replacement value that McCaffrey has with the Debo injury. So this is huge. It definitely raises their floor, and they almost don't miss a beat when Debo goes out. So good value there. First-round pick value, I don't know. But definitely good value and good utilization there. I mentioned before with um, Stafford, not the big negative issues. 5.7 yards per attempt, though. The running game, 32nd in run success rate, yet they only passed at 3% over expectation. McVay, we got to just abandon the run here. I know that Stafford's had some big time issues with mistakes, but you got to start to dial up something where you're not just two yards in a cloud of dust Um, because Stafford converted eight of 13 third downs this week. That's not going to happen every week. And you still got blown out in this one. Okay. 49ers, 68% chance to make the playoffs going forward at four and four. The Rams at 33% going forward. Schedules for these teams. 49ers, 30th, so the third easiest schedule remaining. That's what's really going to push them in. Again, sneaky, sneaky, sneaky Super Bowl chances here for this complete team that they have going into the final half of the season. All right. talk. But the leader in the division, we got to talk about the leader in the division, the fighting Geno Smiths, the Seattle Seahawks facing against the 6-1 in New York Giants. And the thing about Kenneth Walker is we got Gino and we got Kenneth Walker. You can hold him down. You can contain him, but not forever. Seattle out of sorts, and now they're back in the driver's seat. Ooh, Walker able to reverse his field. Walker inside the tank. Barreling over tacklers. Walker dances his way for the touchdown. Yes, he hit the thriller there at the end, doing some little Michael Jackson tribute uh, around Halloween for Kenneth Walker, breaking multiple tackles, taking into the end zone, giving him the two-touchdown lead, which was the final score of the game in this one. But while it was a good game for Seattle, they were the better team. We still have to mention probably the biggest plays of the game, and these are ones, again, that kind of like float under the radar sometimes. And that's all these fumbles that we had in this game. So the number of the game is 16.3. That's the total expected points lost by both teams combined on fumbles. 10.3 for the Giants. Two muffed punts. We have a muffed punt like epidemic, it seems like. Actually, I should check the numbers before I even say that. Maybe it's not worse than it normally is, but it seems like it's worse. Two Richie James fumbles on muffed punts. And those muffed punts are just absolutely killer because you give great field possession to the other team. You're giving up what would have been a first and 10 for your offense. So a good sort of expected points play for your offense. Killer, killer, killer plays there for the Giants who, you know, beginning a few things going their way. The first non-one-score game of the year for the Giants, they go down and lose in Seattle. Uh, Seattle was a three-point favorite in this one. Vegas was right this time, Giants fans. I know you like to say that, no disrespect. Well, Vegas was right this time. Three-point favorite. 27-13, adjusted score, again, more narrow because of those muffed putt fumbles, 20-15. to But Giants offense was bad. I mean, fifth percentile success rate, couldn't really do anything. Daniel Jones had kind of like a Daniel Jones type of game that you were hoping you were going to start avoiding for the rest of the season here. And I say that because the pocket awareness, maybe that wasn't a problem, but the numbers hint towards it. 
we have five sacks on 39 dropbacks. And we also had a fumble for Daniel Jones, which we hadn't really had a lot of this year. That's the old Daniel Jones, what he would do um, as far as the fumbles concerned. And, you know, two turnover worthy plays in this one for Jones, where he'd been pretty good about avoiding turnover worthy plays this season. Yeah, two two in this particular game. So not great for Jones. We can we can wipe it off though. Whatever. You're six and two Giants. You weren't expected to be here. Um, you know, Saquon couldn't get anything going on the ground. 2.6 yards per carry, 53 yards. Uh Kenneth Walker wasn't great on the ground either, but they ended up uh, you know, getting that last touchdown on a game that was a little bit of a slog for both teams offensively. Gino's gonna have a 90 grade again in this game. And I think Gino is is breaking our grading system a little bit. Maybe not like how some other people have done in the past, but so Gino's going to have a 90 grade. Yet when you look at expected points added in this game, it's only a little bit over zero. Now there are plays that le- that that hint towards that. Lockett fumbled on what would have been a good game. Lockett dropped some big passes, which would have boosted Gino up a bit here. Um, but it's also, you know, Gino has a little tendency to take some bad sacks. He took three sacks in this game, which was a negative six EPA there. And those don't really play into our grading as much as maybe they should. That's all. Um, another thing here, Pete Carroll continues to own Russell Wilson in a way by Seattle having the highest pass rate over expectation of any team this week, 12% over expectation. Uh, five and three Seahawks now 50% chance to make the playoffs up 16%. Biggest moves of the week because these two teams, Seattle and the Giants were if Seattle doesn't win the division, right, um, we're really matched up against each other as fighting for those wild card spots. So this victory for Seattle up 16%, 50% to make the playoffs. Giants down 13%, 70% chance to make the playoffs at six and two. All right, let's get to the games we can try to get through quickly here. Um, snooze fest a little bit in Tennessee where they rewrote the record books when it came to not wanting to pass the ball with Malik Willis. But it didn't really matter when you have Derrick Henry. This season, we'll hand it off to Henry, and Henry up the middle. Looks a little move. 15, 10, 5. Did he get there? Touchdown. Touchdown, Derrick Henry. 200 yards again for Derrick Henry. I mean, absolutely insane stat that he has over 200 yards the last four times he's played against the Texans in this game 32 carries for 219 yards two touchdowns six yards per carry 10 missed tackles forced in this one 11 first downs through Derrick Henry as part of the victory but I got to turn back to what was you know 1930s NFL football in this game to get to our number of the game, which is one. That's how many pass attempts the Tennessee Titans had in the second half. This is a game that they won by seven points. <laughs> okay. This was not a game that it was such a com- total and complete blowout that it makes some sort of sense that they weren't passing the game. I mean, they, they were getting a lot of pressure from the Texas in this game. Don't get me wrong, but the score was 7-3 at halftime. You know, it went up to 14-3 and 17-3 and then ended up being 
17-10 at the end, but still 7-3 at halftime, and you pass the ball one time in the second half. Absolutely insane. If you look at the pass rate versus expectation, they had a 24% drop back rate. So they dropped back to pass 24% of the time. It was 36% under expectation. The only times in recent memory teams have had a lower pass rate versus expectation than the Titans did in this game were the Patriots in that Buffalo game when they just refused to pass in the weather game last year. And the Broncos in 2020 when they lost all their quarterbacks to uh, COVID protocols and Kendall Hinton, a wide receiver, was playing quarterback. Those are the only times that we've seen this. Um, 20 straight plays they dropped back at one point to pass. Willis was 6 of 10 for 55 passing yards on 14 dropbacks. He still took three sacks <laughs> and scrambled once. 33.8 grade, worst grade of the week for anyone. Worst efficiency of the week also for Malik Willis. Yet there will be someone out there. There will be someone who's like, ah, we got to have something to talk about. Uh, quarterback controversy. Since they're one and out with Malik Willis, he's the future. Let's 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 put him in there. <laughs> Someone's going to bring that up, even though it may have been the worst game or the least impactful game of any quarterback this entire season, since he really did nothing. Uh, he's really good at handing it off, handing it off, right? Um, you could say he added to Derrick Henry's efficiency, but again, Derrick Henry just you know cranks out 200 yards whenever he plays against the Texans. Adjusted score is 2010. If you want to know the adjusted score in this one, um, again. It might have broken all my models with the fact that they're not doing anything offensively. Uh, Texans, I don't know what to say about them other than, you know, number one pick. You're still in line there. You got Detroit, who's probably a better team. Uh, you have a much you have a harder schedule than, than Detroit. Detroit's one and six. You're one, five, and one. You can do it, Texans. You can get that number one overall pick. And you're sitting on a pretty good pick from the uh, Cleveland Browns right now, too. So eh, maybe they can really put something together next year for this team and i guess we should talk titans playoff chances here 87 percent chance to make the playoffs now 82 percent to win the division looking pretty good for the titans i don't think vrabel will get coach of the year consideration with what's happening with sirianni what's happening with kevin o'connell what's happening with god i feel like you know guys like sean mcdermott should get a should get some love but they probably won't um what's happening brian dable although dable lost this week but, you know, maybe he should be in that mix again. I'm not exactly a huge fan of his decision-making with Vrabel, but he's doing something over there. Doing something over there in Tennessee that's sustained for a while that we have to give some credit and some props to. All right, let's try to crank through these last couple of games here. We're going to go Washington, Indiana with Sam Ellinger in at quarterback and Terry McLaurin returning to his childhood home here in Indianapolis. Down to 40 seconds. Heineke looking. They keep the play alive again. He flips it downfield, and McLaurin, the hometown kid, hauls it in at the one-yard line. What a grab. He ripped it away from Stephon Gilmore. 22 seconds left. McLaurin catches the ball at the one-yard line, down by six points, setting up the victory. Uh, Not a lot to say about both these teams who are reeling. The Colts are reeling, but I got to talk about this. I've already talked about Ballard and Reich, I think, are toast, even though Irsay gave Reich the dreaded vote of confidence last week. Um, and this is what annoys me. 
I know you have Sam Ellinger, so you don't necessarily, you know, you're being conservative. 11.1 is the number of the game in this one. That's the win probability forfeited by the Colts with decisions to punt and kick field goals instead of going for it in this game. What are you doing? What are we doing here? Fourth and one um, at their own 34. Fourth and inches, they don't go for it. They punt it away. They give up the game-winning touchdown at the end. Uh, fourth and three at the Washington 21, they kick a field goal. Uh, fourth and goal from the Washington two, they kick a field goal. Come on, Reich. Like, let's do this here. Whatever. Tail between the legs, not a good way to go for them. 17-16 again is the final score. 24-20 Washington, the adjusted score. Heineke's getting himself more and more rope here. And we're not, you know, unfortunately, maybe we're not going to end up seeing Sam Howell for at least a couple of weeks, if ever, this season. And not a great game from Heineke, but... You know, 9.9 yards per attempt will will get the job done. And his EPA per play this season was middling, about average in this game. Um, the interception, he always throws a bad interception, which ends up keeping his numbers down. But he did make some plays. Uh, McLaurin, been unlocked by him, though, so good for fantasy. Eight targets, six receptions, 113 yards for Terry McLaurin in this game. And far as going forward, the... Colts are now down to 28% chance to make the playoffs. It might even be less than that when you consider the quarterback position for them. Washington, 26%. Man, if Washington backs into the playoffs, that would be pretty amazing this year. All right, let's get to Sunday Night Football. The last game of the night. A little bit closer, actually. I was shocked by my adjusted score on this one. Well, not shocked, but I was surprised by my adjusted score on this one because it seemed like such a blowout, at least in the first half. And that blowout was precipitated by the Josh Allen-Stephon Diggs combination. Props to me as I own have Diggs on a lot of my rosters in fantasy football. Continuing to work extremely well. Great Marv Levy teams with Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith and all the guys here. Second quarter begins, second and one. Allen shot to the end zone. Touchdown! Brought in by Stefan Diggs. Absolute laser there from Josh Allen. Dude in his face. He has this whole thing. He was showing the form and how he learned how to do this like pop with his back foot when he's throwing the ball that Aaron Rodgers does, which I thought was interesting. That that's how he's kind of corrected some of his form when we saw that leap from second to third year. It just allows him to throw the ball accurately. And obviously he has a lot of zip. He's always had that. From these positions where you look at him, he looks completely flat-footed. He's not really even turned in the right direction sometimes. He has a defender right in his face, and he's able to generate that sort of power on this. Uh, Let's get to the number of the game here. And the number of the game, though, is talking about on the Green Bay side of things. Maybe this is going to have to be the formula for them, but uh, the number of the game is 55.7, and that was the pass rate for the Packers, despite being down the entire game. Um. This was a game that, you know, got maybe a little bit tight score-wise in a fourth and one chance where Aaron Jones late. You might have thought it was a little bit tight. The win probability for the Bills was always 95% or better in the second half. I know you hate win probability models, everyone, but that was the case in this one. So despite the fact that it might have seemed a little bit close, it wasn't really close. And yet they just weren't going to throw the ball that much. In this one, you know, 21-7 at halftime, 24-7. Um, 
I'm sorry, 24-7 at halftime, and they still were way under expectation this game. Maybe that's just going to be the Green Bay offense when they don't have the ability to trust the receivers, but he did get a little something going with Romeo Dobbs later on in this game. 10.5-point favorites, much talked about that, how Rodgers was a major underdog in this game. 27-17. So only a 10-point win when it seemed like it was going to be a a total blowout in this game. Adjusted score, 25-21 um green bay believe it or not i'm oh, sorry that's supposed to be buffalo 25 21 i gotta adjust let me let me adjust my adjusted score here 25 21 buffalo but i was surprised that it was that close in this one that it was so close because you know the win probability it's always tough to like how much do you give credit to a team that does something and green bay was pretty good in the second half of this game other than the fact that they failed on a couple of fourth down conversions. So they failed on fourth down conversions, um, which would have made the game a lot closer in this one. You had three turnover-worthy plays for Allen. Two interceptions also kept it pretty close in this one. They were effective running, 200 yards rushing in this game. And if you look at the yards per play between the two teams, it was 6.3 yards per play for the Buffalo Bills, 6.1 for the Packers so they were pretty close even though they were leading heavily 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 into the run in this game which you would normally expect would give you worse efficiency you know Rodgers wasn't good in this game efficiency wise but I thought he was okay um interception hurt though big interception on a bad down and distance uh by Matt Milano I believe for him in this game but it was definitely one of the worst games overall although okay on the season for Josh Allen Uh, 0.1 EPA per play. Actually, a good grade, 83 grade. I'm surprised by that with the turnover-worthy plays that we saw there from him. But there were definitely some head scratches at the end of the game. It just didn't matter because they were a 99% chance to win the game at that point in time. Going forward, what does it mean for these teams? Well, the Packers are struggling. 30% chance to make the playoffs now, despite the fact that we still see them as a fringe top 10 team. And the Bills, we don't even need to talk about the Bills anymore. 90% chance to win their division. Almost a coin flip, 50% chance to make to make the Super Bowl and 26% chance to win the Super Bowl. Not going to get too worried about some of those uh, brain fart type of plays by Allen at the end of the game, but it definitely happened a few times here. Again, the positive side for the Packers is maybe if you can continue to run the ball this well in games where you don't have – a blitzkrieg being put on you by the opposing offense. That's good. You can get that going. And the other positive here, Romeo Dobbs, four catches, 62 yards, and drops in this game. Only one drop for the Packers. So they'd probably be confident about that too after having lots of drop issues in the past and lack of the mistakes, the quote-unquote mistakes that you're seeing there offensively. Get Lazard back. Get things going a little bit. We'll see what we can do. Though the Packers defense has definitely not had enough going on here. And they're getting pressure. They're getting pressure on Allen, but just weren't able to convert any of them, only one of them, into a sack in this game. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This was the Monday edition. I will be back tomorrow. I'm not sure if I'm going to do an interview or if I'm just going to do my normal Monday night football review in the morning. And then next week, I think we're going to come back with Sam Schwartzstein again to discuss some big stuff that he's got got going on over at Amazon and do a mid-year, mid-year review of everything since we'll be through week nine at that point in time next week. Rate, review the pod. Uh, leave mailback questions too. Hopefully I can get to those at the end of this week on Friday if you do in the comments there or on Apple Reviews. 
Uh, appreciate everyone tuning in, and I'll be talking at everyone tomorrow morning. Thank you, everybody.